This season is sponsored by Gorillas, the sexy grocery delivery app revolutionizing online shopping. Fresh food delivered to your door in 10 minutes, catering to all your food loving needs. Sign me up. Operating in major cities in the UK and globally, Gorillas supports small businesses as well as local producers to bring your favourite brands to your door. And just to get your juices flowing, they are offering all listeners £10 off your first order when you spend £20. Download the Gorillas app and use the code SEXY10 at checkout. Hi, and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by a man I am beyond excited to meet. Not only is he funny and talented, but he is a fellow Iranian. In fact, he is my first Iranian guest in five seasons, Mr. Omid Jalili. What a pleasure. Omid has graced our screens in some of the biggest films, namely Gladiator, The Mummy, Notting Hill, James Bond's The World Is Not Enough, and Pirates of the Caribbean, to name but a few. He has gained huge recognition as one of the kings of comedy through his stand-up career and is currently on a marathon-length tour. I think it's 100 dates. I'm not sure that will be clarified in a bit. (laughs) 114. Omid Salam, welcome. What an absolute honour to have you on Crazy Sexy Food. Salam, Hannah June. Great podcast. I was listening to the one with um, Nile Rogers. It's great. Oh, he's amazing. He seems to be your friend. How do you know him so yeah, well? Um, so he's quite, he's very good friends with my dad. My dad's a photographer um, and uh, they've just known each other for years. And then when Niall was, uh, he was recording his album in 2018, he asked my dad to shoot some of the cover for it. Um, and we all just kind of bonded, bonded. Yeah, oh, he's he's amazing guy. Yeah, and so whenever he's in London, we always try and like meet up. And he's one of my know. childhood heroes. The f- first first concert I ever went to was uh, Chic at the Hammersmith Apollo in nineteen. No way, really. Nineteen seventy eight, I think it was. I was oh, about wow. thirteen, twelve, thirteen. I can't remember, but it was oh, amazing. It was an amazing concert, and I remember when they went ah freak out, and they, and him <laughs> and they would put their guitars together. And these lights would would. Uh, did you see that? Could you have yeah. you seen? Well, I've seen. I've seen so much footage of him from like back in the day because my so I'm half Iranian. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that. Oh, amazing. Oh yeah. So, so is um, your dad gonna, Iranian? My mum. Okay. Yeah. So there's going to be lots for us to talk about in a bit. But um, uh, my mum, although she was raised here, um, is a bit of like a '70s disco diva. So yeah. when they start, when when my dad and and I guess my mum, because my mum. Uh, runs my dad's business um it's like she's living her dream that like she's hanging out with Nile Rogers after all those years of like you know dancing to his music so what's your mother called she's changed her name her name was changed when she was really young her her real name is Manija but um her name now is Susan Manija what what was her surname Kolahi you're joking are you a Kolahi yes you're kidding me are you kidding me you're Kolahis Mm. that's unbelievable yeah. So you're your manager's daughter. Do you know my mum? Of course I do. How? The Kolahi's a le- legendary family. The, uh, your granddad was good friends with my dad. What? Yeah, yeah. The Kolahi's, yeah. Very well known. Really? I, I, he, he used to make me laugh so much. Your granddad is, his, was hysterical. I never met him. You never met him? He was no. quite a character. Yeah, I know. I know oh your mum and I know your dad. That, that, your, I know your granddad. Yeah, and you You're you probably do know you probably do know my dad as well because my dad is a photographer who has spent his life photographing celebrities. What's his name? Richard Young. I think I've met him. Yes, how how extraordinary! We're also both West London kids as well. West London, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where were you raised again? I was Tell raised in Labour Grove. Labour Grove, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I was. I went to Holland Park School. I know you did. I've done my research. 
Oh, very good. Well, let's let's start. So, let's start. You, your family is so, close to my family. Oh my! This is mad. You're probably like my long lost brother or something. <laughs> well, we're, 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 I mean, from the seventies, my, my dad with yeah, your yeah, yeah. with your granddad, we're very good friends. Yeah. Gosh, how incredible! Whenever, whenever okay. your granddad came over, he'd stay with us. But I don't understand why I don't know this. Okay, I need to speak to my grandma. She's in Canada, but I'm giving her a call later. Anyway, look, I, I'm pretty sure, and there's a good connection. We're, we're there we very go. good friends. Very good friends, actually. So it's not just a connection. Well, this is a, this is a, a deep, deeper connection. Oh, well, lovely to finally meet you. The Iranian um, scene of the 1970s was quite colourful. There was lots of cabarets and people hanging out. My family were a bit of a party family. Your family were a bit of a party family. So all the party animals kind of hung around with each other. And uh, your granddad was quite a character. He's one of my favourite people. He used to come and stay with us every time he'd come and nip over from Iran. He always, and these are people with money, people who could have stayed in hotels, but they chose to stay with families. And for some reason, my dad and your granddad got on very, very well. And, uh, and here we are. What, what an amazing connection. How amazing. The world is so small, isn't it? It is very small. And it's interesting. I was talking to when I first got to know Shapi Hossandi and I said, hang on, are you Hossandi? That, I know the name. Isn't my dad good friends with your dad? And she went, I, d- I don't know. And then she goes, oh, yes. Oh, my God. Because um, her dad was a very famous comedian in, in Iran and um, used to hang out with my dad as well. Like I said, all the party animals hang around with each other. Yeah. My dad was funny. Uh, Hardy Hossandi was, is hysterical. Uh, in fact, he even brought me on stage once with him. And he goes, we have Omid Jalili here today. And he brought me up and he held my hand and he goes, and we promise together one day we will go back to Iran and together claim social security. And it was amazing. <laughs> it's wow. just a massive laugh. So, yeah, there was, there was a whole scene of uh, Iranians. Because my family, like one of the longest standing Iranian families in London, they came over in the, in the 1950s, actually. So, um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so your dad was, your granddad, so I keep saying dad, your granddad was very much part of that scene. Oh, well, I mean, this is, well, this just makes my job very easy right now. I mean, before we get into sort of the, there's going to be a lot of Iranian chat in a bit, but I want to know first and foremost, did you have breakfast this morning? I didn't. No, I'm trying to do some intermittent fasting. I'm trying to take that coconut oil in my coffee to, (coughs) that extra fat. There's that extra, you put this kind of coconut fat into your coffee to just take the edge off your hunger. I am absolutely starving right now. I'm trying to lose weight. I've lost about a stone. My, well my doctor says I've got to lose anywhere between 10 and 80 pounds. Oh, <laughs> so gosh. somewhere between okay. 10 and 80. So I've, I've lost the first uh, 14 pounds, which is about a stone. Well and done. And, and, I, and then I plateaued. So they said, go back on the carbs for a few days and then you go back on to um, a sugarless diet. So yeah, so no, I haven't had breakfast, but, but I can tell you what my favorite breakfast is, if, if you're oh, interested. Oh, tell me. Oh yeah. This is something that I spoke about on a television program once. There's nothing beats, for me, fried eggs on fried bread, which have been, been fried in butter, but then you, you drizzle it with honey and then you put the eggs on top and then you just Ooh. put a bit of ground pepper on it and the crispy crunch with the yellow yolk and the bit of the white together is the most sublime, wonderful. I think it's probably why I put on a lot of weight, actually. To have <laughs> I mean, I was just about to every say. Morning. <laughs> I mean, you had me at fried eggs and then you went to the fried bread and I was like, okay, oh. we're like, we're on a slippery slope here. <laughs> it's the honey drizzle. You put a bit of honey drizzle underneath it, then you put the egg on top. Wow. Well, I Fantastic. guess it's the mixture of um, sort of sweet and salt and, you know, yes. and a bit of fat. I mean, all the great things in life and all the things that we probably shouldn't be eating, but, you know. I remember telling um, people, what, what is this stupid uh, sweet, and, sweet and salty popcorn? I thought that's the most ridiculous. That's all I get now, sweet and salty popcorn, because I like the taste of the two things that they they complement each other. They're you know that they're, they're not people who like are, are opposing that cancel each other out. They can they they complement each other perfectly. Absolutely. And where are you recording from? I'm recording from my home right now in oh. sunny Suffolk. I'm in the middle of Suffolk. I moved uh, during during pandemic. Uh, because where I was living, which was in West London, right by Richmond Park, was a bit of a COVID-spiked area and took advantage of the uh, the stamp duty holiday and uh, got myself... We a all nice did. Stuff. <laughs> we all did, yeah. Where, where are you exactly? I'm in Shepherd's Bush now. 
Oh, West London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where were you raised, Hannah? Labrook Grove. I'm a Grove there girl. There you go. You're a mm. Which school did you go to? Um, well, I was carted off out of the area. So I went um, to Francis Holland in, in Baker Street. Okay, cool school. Yeah. I went to Holland Park. So, so you must know that I'm a <clears throat> majority of kids came from the Labrick Grove area, actually, who came to Holland Park. It was actually, I was from Kensington and the school at Holland Park was on Cam, Camden Hill Rise, which, which, is, which connects Kensington with Labrick Grove mm-hmm. and Notting Hill Gate. And so we got all the rough kids from the estates from Labrick Grove, and then we had all the posh kids from. Ken- I was one of the, I was one of the posh kids who was eternally shocked by the language, and the <laughs> and the behaviour. I remember we all went to the. Uh, you mentioned uh, Baker Street. We went to the planetarium once with a few other schools. Where I think the planetarium you can fit about five hundred people there, and in the middle of the uh, presentation, our school. There's about a hundred of us there. We were making so much noise, and they said they stopped it. They put the lights on. He goes, will a teacher from Holland Park School please discipline your children? This bloke with long hair with his hands in his pockets he goes, you lot, shut up or I'll smash your faces in. And we went, and we went quiet. All right, I said, put the lights back down again. Let's carry on. That's all oh, he said. I love it. Shut your face. Well, I'll, I'll smash your faces in. That's, that's how it was in the 70s. In fact, I've got to tell you, actually, there was a song, a Pink Floyd song called, you know, We Don't Need No Education. Yeah. That song, having spoken to one of the Pink Floyd uh, band members, that, that was it was actually aimed at my generation when I was 13, 14, because they were so shocked by the way kids were, kids were, 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 we were hit, we were, and I remember we all sang that song at school. And I remember very clearly about a month after that song, the song went to number one. And I remember a teacher getting really angry with a child and where normally he'd get hit and we'd just sit there. I remember him saying, because you come here. And he went up to him and the kid went, no, he goes, you come here. And we thought there's going to be a fight here. So as he approached the, the pupil, the rest of the class, all we all went like this. We just got ready to defend him because we knew that we weren't taking this anymore. So there was a moment and he looked over, the teacher looked over and he just saw literally all the boys and the girls. We just sat up like this, getting ready to attack. And he went, well, you just better be quiet, right? So sharp. And then we and then we went back from the war position. We, we went, our shoulders went down again. I so, love yeah, it. That, that's how it was in the 70s. It was, it was yeah. pretty rough. Well, I mean, actually, um, I think it's had a bit of a sort of rebirth, Colin Park School. I know a yeah. lot of people who send their kids there now. It looks like a spaceship now. I went, I went past yeah. there and they've... they've Giving it a facelift, I couldn't. Yeah. I didn't recognize it at all. Yeah, it's an amazing place, and in fact, it was the the reason why I probably went into the arts was because it had a very strong um, arts focus to it. And um, I remember I did my first play, and uh, I remember actually there was a show called Not the Nine O'clock News, uh, which had some very famous stars: Rowan Atkinson, Mel Smith, Griff Priest Jones, Pamela Stevenson. These four comedy heroes, again aimed at my generation. In the days where we all watched television together, we'd all come in, we'd watch it and say, did you watch Not Nine O'Clock News? And we remember the sketches word for word because you didn't have Sky Plus, you couldn't record things. You had to memorize things mm. as you're watching it and you see it once. And we come in and we do it. And then, and then when I did a play, somebody knew Mel Smith, one of the stars of the show, and he came backstage and he said to me, I was very funny and I should think about a career in comedy. So I'm very thankful to uh, Holland Park for giving me that kind of encouragement because that's what kids need. Kids, kids that thrive on, on encouragement. So I was very happy that I got that quite early on. And how old were you when that sort of Mel Smith encounter happened? About 15, 14, 15. Yeah. Wow. So he, he'd picked it up at quite an early age. Yes. He was about 27. And I think they said to him, go backstage and say hi to the kids. And he was just awkwardly standing there and nobody know, know what to say to him. So I just went up to him and said, I, said, I love you. And I gave him a hug. He goes, oh, I love you too. You're very funny. I went, I went, thanks. <laughs> and he was very like, you should do it. You should. I mean, I, the penny didn't ever really draw. I didn't know what he was talking about. You should do it. I remember I kept thinking, I am doing it. Well, I just made a whole crowd of people laugh. And he goes, but no, professionally, you should think about it. And I went, eh, yeah, okay. I didn't even think about it. So um, that was a huge moment for me. And, and it was only uh, literally 15 years later where the first agency that took me on was an agency called Talkback which was actually bought, which was actually owned by Griff Reese jones and Mel Smith. Ah. So, and did you know that Griff Reese jones daughter went to my school? No. Yeah, Father she Solon. was in the year above me. Yeah. 
Were you friends with her? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know what it's like when there's like people in the year above, it's that like, you know, it's like competitiveness. You don't speak to people in different years, but yeah, she, she was lovely. I don't know what happened to her, but she's love. She was lovely from what I remember. Fantastic. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm just chewing on a bit of tangerine. That's very on brand. That's fine. Of... <laughs> it's a food, it's a food podcast. I can chew Exactly. So I want to take it back and I want to take it way back before sort of the Holland Park school days. You were born and raised in London. Um, I want to know what life was like growing up during your childhood. What were you eating? Who was cooking? You know, how did food play a part in your life? That's a huge question. Actually, I was raised in a guest house, actually. There's a block of flats where my parents used to take in guests from Iran, of which your grandfather was one. And then people who were people became friends. They just used to come and stop by. And um, my mother used to make a whole load of food and leave it like a buffet. So wow. breakfast was something they would cook. My dad would make eggs. And he'd often, the word eggs uh, if you talk, is tohma mor, which, which means the egg of a chicken. But if you say tohma, it just means balls. It could, it could double up uh, for another word in your nether regions. So he'd always say, how would you like your balls? Fried, scrambled, or boiled. And it was always a laugh. And of course, a lot of the people who stayed were Iranian medical, they, they come for medical reasons because they, they couldn't get certain operations. So I was actually very proud of my parents. It wasn't just a guest house. It was for, for people who needed medical attention. So part of it was to try and make them laugh. So they'd be cooking and, and, and making people laugh. So I was always around jokes. I was always around from seven o'clock in the morning, they'd get up and, and tell jokes. And so it was always eggs, cheese, bread they try to you know whole unleavened iranian bread was always there cucumbers and then um in the afternoon there'd just be a pot of something called orma sabzi which is a, a, a lovely a green stew with with uh with beef or they'd have fesenjun which is this mm. amazing chicken with with a sauce made of ground walnuts and pomegranates so it was it was incredible but it was just always there and i was a bit of a i was just ruminating on this that in the summers i was pretty feral um kids in iranian families are uh, a a little bit annoying for adults so we were just outside and i'd just come in and get some food i could see there'd be like rice and things i just put on for eat and go out again and come back until and she my mother said oh me bedtime and i just come back in so i was always out um so yeah the the food was pretty much a heavy set iranian staple which is rice with most things uh, she used to make spaghetti bolognese and just leave a whole lot of spaghetti and a whole lot of bolognese and people just and i remember literally my brother and sister would say we want english food we want you know we want because what, what do you mean english food because we we want some fish and chips like fish fingers because what okay well he, if you really want food that doesn't taste of anything here, we'll make it for you. They used to make it and make it really badly. And he goes, can we get the Persian food again? So it was, we were always complaining, always as kids being raised in Britain, always wanting Christmas, always wanting, you know, like like we wanted what the English kids wanted, but we never got it. So, so food was a very big deal, especially when it came to packed lunches when you went away. I remember saying, mum, you can't give me a Tupperware box full of Orma Sabzi. The oil is leaking. <laughs> We sat at the back of the of the bus. This is I've got grease all over me. I've got green <laughs> stuff. This is the struggle of being an Iranian kid. Honestly, <laughs> I used to hate it. I was, I was like, "This is so impractical. I can't." Eat. And all the kids are looking at me. Can't you just make me a cheese sandwich? Because okay, okay, cheese. You want the cheese sandwich? Maybe I'll put some fish fingers in there for you. So it was always a battle, and it was always an argument. Often my mother and father used to smoke and play backgammon. They said. So Chimichai, what 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 do you want? We'll get it for you. I said, I want what I really want is turkey and coleslaw sandwiches. That would be amazing. And she'd make it, but there'd still be some Iranian cuckoo, or there'd be yeah. some Iranian stuff in there as well. I said, I don't want the Iranian when I go away. It's embarrassing because I don't know if they ask me, what is the food you're eating? Ugh, it smells. The kids yeah. don't like it. So it was it was always uh when I look back, it's a shame because they were actually giving me the good stuff. They were giving me <sighs> the deluxe. It's what you would call a deluxe lunchbox, but they never really, uh, I never really appreciated it. So I feel if my parents are watching now in, in the next life, I apologize. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate you. Would, you. would you have friends over? Would they come over and eat, this, eat the, you know, the Iranian food with you? 
Well, that's the thing. They, I, I did. I often went around to other people's houses because I didn't want them to come and see yeah. my house. Because my house, when you walk in, like you come home from school at four o'clock, and there are a bunch of old Iranian men watching television in pajamas, and the Iranian men have like got a drip with them, or they've just had a, they've got an eye patch because they've just had an eye operation, or there'd be a guy with one leg, and and it would be quite shocking for them to see all these invalids in our house. But it was also to create atmosphere. My mother would leave the radio, Iranian radio on and the television on. So there was always noise. So they'd come in, kids from school, and just see men in pajamas, people walking around, noise, and they would sit and eat. And, and I, w- I presumed they would kind of enjoy it, but it was embarrassing for me. So I kind of stopped doing that when I was like 10, 11, 12. So I never really had people come around. No, not really. It's too embarrassed. Um, what is your favorite Iranian dish? I'm a big kebab guy. I mean, I do love, I often, there's a, there's a Persian restaurant in East Sheen, which I absolutely love. It's called Gandom. And, and they always say, you want the usual? I say, yes, please. And they know what I want, which is a boneless cubed chicken with a little bit of rice and an egg yolk. There'd be butter and egg yolk in the middle. Then you'd mix it all up. So the rice would be sticky and moist. And there'd be some grilled onions with some grilled tomato and a bit of uh, master musir, which is this yogurt made from shallots. So it's, I can see you're, lipping, you're licking your lips I'm, already. I'm, I'm, I haven't eaten breakfast either, and I knew I was going to get hungry during this podcast. I just knew we were <laughs> going to go down me. that route. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> is killing me. So um, they, they, they have that. So I'd always, and the way you eat it is, I was, I, I'm trying to train myself not to eat so quickly because I saw a video of my mother feeding me when I was a child. I was three. She, she was so distracted. She put a mouthful of rice and kebab in my mouth and talk. And then before I'd finished, she'd shove some more in. So I'm going. So the way I've eaten, the way I, why I put on weight is that I never finished what was in my mouth before I had more. So now I, I basically put a little bit of chicken on a, on a spoon and fork. I have a little bit of grilled onion and a little bit of the rice and I, I take it and then I put the grilled onion in my mouth and then a tiny bit of the shallot and yogurt. And then I put my knife and my spoon and fork down and I enjoy it. And then when it's yeah. completely done, I start again. So look, unfortunately, by the time I've got to my fifth or sixth uh, bite, I, the food's gone a little bit cold, but it doesn't matter. It's so delicious when it's charcoal oh. grilled cube chicken with it, we marinate and then put a little bit of lemon juice on it. It's, it's incredible. It, honestly, I, I think. Listen, I know I'm biased, but I honestly think Iranian food is just the most phenomenal cuisine ever. Well, the things that we were talking about, like Festa and June, which they do. The, the, some restaurants back in the '90s, they would only do Festa and June like on a Monday. Then you do Orma yeah. Sabzi on a Tuesday. Some restaurants now they do it all the time, so it's a little bit more available. And I remember walking into this restaurant and I see these English builders eating food, and I go. You're English. He goes, yeah. I said, uh, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. What are you doing? He goes, yeah, all right, mate. Yeah, we're builders. We're working on a house. Love a bit of fest in June. Don't you love it, Mick? He goes, yeah. Do you know what? I love the just the, the, the just the pomegranates, the molasses, <laughs> and the onions all mixed in with the walnut. It's lovely. It's like I love it. And then the chicken is really moist. So you put it with a bit of rice. I'll tell you what. When we go back to work at two o'clock, two o'clock, we go we go off like a rocket. We oh, we got energy. <laughs> So I, I I love to see these restaurants full of English people. Yeah. I mean, usually you go to the Iranian restaurants and there's Iranian people because it's like good Chinese is where the Chinese go. Of course. Good Iranians is where the Iranians go. And But but it, it really makes me happy to see these really working class English people appreciate the delicacy. And they said, you know what? I mean, it's not like a curry, is it? Because sometimes you put too much chili in something, it blows away the taste. But here, the nuances of the pomegranates and it's, 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 it, and then wash it down with a bit of doog, which is the uh, it's a yogurt yogurt mint drink. <laughs> cleans your palate and you start off again. It's brilliant. Oh, that is absolutely priceless. And let me ask a very important question around a family table in an Iranian household: Is did you all fight over tadig? Yes, that tadig is a tadig. If you don't know, is the if 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 you have proper Iranian cuisine. Uh, my children started making it now. You put some, uh, my children have learned, my children are the 20s. My son, who's 25, he is the king of tadig. You, what, the, what you do is, tadig means bottom of the pan. So when you, before you put the rice in, 
you put some oil and butter at the bottom of the pan and then you place thinly sliced bits of potato. Which You're then... doing it the way that my mum does it. Thank you. Because my... Yes. Continue, sorry, because I ha- have a massive bottom. issue with some people's time. You put it at the bottom and then you put the rice on top and then you have to put um, a lid on it, but with a cloth around it to keep... The, there's a certain trick to it that the rice doesn't get too soft so it's still firm but the potatoes when you flip it round is perfectly crispy and and the the sensation of eating tadig is 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 remarkable because it's like a chip but it's a, a chip half done mm. so it complements the meal where you take a crispy bit and there's a bit of soft potato and really crisp hard potato and it complements the rest of the food so it has to be done right i've had very bad tadig i've had underdone tadig i've had burnt tadig and if it's done well it's great if it's done badly it's still kind of okay if it's like really overdone you can kind of get away with it but it's it's a great compliment to the to the to a persian meal it's a very it gets very militant in my household my mum has to actually sort of get like the uh, the ruler out and the protractor and to literally mm. sort of cut because obviously it usually it comes out well my mum does it in a rice cooker actually and yeah. um so it's like a big sort of circular sort of centerpiece but honestly the fights that have happened in the past especially my dad because he's the fast eater so he's always yeah. going for the seconds and I'm like hold on I only got one piece of taddy that's not fair but, a family um, of five, yeah. I mean, you really should put about 10 pieces down so everyone gets about two two bits yeah. of, two slices of potato each. But I've seen it at Iranian buffets and they put the tadig on top of the rice and it's all gone. But if you're like fifth or sixth in the line, it's, it's all gone. <laughs> and you're always, you're always looking at other people thinking, that son of a bitch, he took three. There's like there's like an unsaid golden rule. Oh, in yeah. you, you take no more than two. That's no. But these and English people don't they take six or seven? Yeah. Anything? Has no one taught them anything? Hamal, these people are idiots. These people have no education at all. And, it, and, and I, the, the buffet's ruined because you just you got your food, but you're looking at other tables. Yeah, of course, you're pissed Thinking, off with why everyone. They, why have they taken the, the golden yeah, bits? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That is hilarious. I also don't. I, I'm quite militant in terms of. It needs to be made how you've described with the potatoes. I know there are other variations, you know, with bread or people who just do rice. A lot of restaurants actually in London that I've been to, their tadik is just the rice without the potatoes, which yeah. I don't mind. But I love that that crispy potato is just... It's a fake tadik. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, yeah. Can, you can do it. But the thing is, Iranians in general are quite militant about food. I remember there was a, I was a driver once for a, a limousine company. There was an Iranian guy who ran it and um, called um, Jam. And he had a brother called Majid. And I'll never oh, forget, yeah. he was quite a militant person in, in everything. And he would like sit down and he'd get a piece of bread and put it in yogurt and he'd eat it. And he'd go, you know, bread and yogurt together is the most balanced food in the world. I think, what do you mean? And I, and I just got nod going, yeah, you're right. I didn't want to get into an argument, but he'd say it with it's the most balanced food. But what is it? What it balancing? What just just a bit of bread and yogurt? He goes, you eat this for the rest of your life, you would be fine. Actually, that's not true. The only the <laughs> only the only thing you could eat for about a month, nothing else, is an avocado because avocado is a bit a bit of bread and yogurt doesn't do you any good. But it is the most balanced food in the world, and he'd say it with such authority, that, and then and everything he'd said, tadig with that potato is a disgrace, and then he just let it hang, and I go. Is that it? Because that's all I want to say. You're right. Absolutely right. So we're just, we're very militant about everything. It's yeah, just about speaking things with, with real status. We are. So I just wanted to take it away from the food for a second. You are currently on your Good Times tour. Uh, and it was, I think you corrected me, it was 114 dates. Yes. And where are we at now? I've done about 36 now. And it takes about... I would say 10 shows to get into your stride. And um, I think it's okay. I think w- w- what I've done now is uh, the first 10 shows, you can do anything you want. And then I've got to then start pairing it back. I'm doing too much. And then I try and clean it up a bit. Sometimes it, 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 it's a bit loose and it gets a, a little bit unnecessarily sweary. So I try and take out the swear words because it's not necessary really, but but you you just feel you've got it at the beginning go, 
hog wild with everything. And the litmus test was at the Chichester Festival Theatre, which is in Chichester, which is the, one of the most prestigious theatres in the land. And they've stopped having stand-up comedy. I'm, I think they've made an exception for me because I I did Fiddler on the Roof for them about four years ago. And they got they had the box office record, actually, in the whole of the UK. It's a big 1,300-seat venue. And uh, not only was it sold out, it was... Um, very well received and they're they're a very very discerning theater crowd an older crowd and um and i think that was the one i was most nervous about because they um they are they are a comedy crowd you know chichester's a place where all the hippies go when they've made a bit of money you know and so they're all they're all kind of middle-aged but they're kind of thinking who would have thought there was so much money in plant-based burgers and you know windmills in shoreditch and so they they end up there, and um, but they're just a very discerning audience. So I was very worried about what they thought of it, and uh, they liked it. I mean, they they're not a huge laugher, laughing crowd, but they enjoyed it. And um, once I know it's 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 there, the basis of the show is there, then I'm I'm a bit more confident now with it. So I'm going to go all around the country. And sort of apologies if I sort of am coming across very naive, but what sort of influences your comedy so for example on this particular tour sort of what angle are you going with if that makes sense well the the the, uh, the the first thing we talk about is a retrospective on what we've all just been through um so it's a it's a recap on the last 18 19 months then we talk about some of the issues that have come out of it for example um try and find some positives from what the government trying to help us. One thing I, I pick up on is they did try and keep a sense of normality going on. So they, they encouraged the Premier League to carry on football matches, even when there's no one there. They kept um, things going on trains like that announcement, see it, say it, sort it. If you see something suspicious, text British Transport Police, even when there's no one on the trains, terrorism is almost down to zero. Um, and then we reflect on um, Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement and, and how it's affected the new normal. And then also doing comedy in the new new normal um, with, with all these pitfalls now where people can get cancelled and can offend people. Where are the lines for all of us, not just comedians? So where are the lines? And I think we've noticed a drop off in you know, people sending texts as jokes or emails because it's not not worth it. You can probably go on twitter or you can see some jokes but i I think the fact of the idea of people in the workplace sending jokes is that's gone down about 80 percent and and how it's affected us and and i talk about i I reflect on that i I reflect on um my own career as well because i see things uh, since black lives matter anew i think about my, my own microaggressions and my own things that I've struggled against being in the comedy industry and my own, I suppose, uh, quibbles that I've had, but now I feel a bit more encouraged to say things like, you know, I, I, I really am upset when I think about, I've only ever been reviewed by white middle-class middle-aged <laughs> blokes who often say, oh, he sings, he dances and he does accents. And I say, well, that's not a, first of all, I'm an Iranian, that's my culture. And second of all, um you know that that that's who i am and 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 because it's my culture it's a bit it's a bit like stuart lee who's a really great english comedian going and doing a show in iran and getting a review because here comes political satire boy <laughs> with his perfectly formed political routines about the socio-economic <laughs> environment like two stars horse and hound camel and donkey magazine so i just think it's it's it, it just when i reflecting on the microaggressions. And I think it's because, you know, everyone is young, Hannah, everyone's young, but when you have years, you have the confidence to speak up. Mm. And I think this is why now I have the confidence to speak. Whereas before I was young, I was funny. I did things that made me laugh and people will come to my shows and laugh and probably be uplifted, hopefully. Uh, But now I think they can still come and laugh, but, but, to have the reflections of me with a bit more experience, I think is a more 
richer experience and it's a better experience. And certainly from the reactions I'm getting, people are enjoying it way more than shows before. Also in the new normal, people are really desperate for comedy and, and the live experience because Absolutely. you can watch, you can watch things digitally, but to actually be there live, it has a physiological effect mm. on your body and your personality and your spirit. So, mm. so all those ingredients together, I'm, I'm hoping it's probably my, I think it's my best stand up show. I've done it in years. Something you touched on is actually um, a topic that I'm really interested in, in this new normal off the back mm. of everything that's happened over the past couple of years, which is this sort of very fine line between comedy and being offensive or being cancelled. As a comedian, is that quite a difficult thing to navigate now because you're slightly in fear that someone is going to take it so seriously that, well, essentially you get cancelled because this cancel culture I'm actually sort of well it, it, I'm sort of in on on the fence about it and I just wonder as as someone who makes jokes or 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 finds the funny in things that are perhaps controversial mm. how does one navigate that I think that, it, that there are certain rules in comedy uh, which which I adhere to which Unfortunately, cancel culture it, 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 it just has this blanket thing. Like, for example, that they say, D don't you don't do accents? You can't do accents anymore. And I say you can do accents, but it's 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 how you do it. There's mm -hmm. ways that you can punch down. Like I know Jim Davidson used to have a lot of flack about doing his chalky white character, and he would do West Indian characters that seemed to be punching down and seemed to be making fun of those cultures. But but see, I'm I'm a central London boy, just like you're a central London girl, and we're raised with people all around us speaking different accents. So and we love the musicality of the way the pe people, I suppose, struggle with the English language or don't struggle. They just say things with with great confidence, but in ways that doesn't really suit um, that we've not really heard of. And I find that delightful. So and also, there's a difference between doing accents well and doing accents badly. I remember a comic said to me the reason why you get away with doing African accents is you actually do them quite accurately. Nigerians <laughs> are always coming up to me and goes, I love your show. I love what you do. It's so funny for us in Ghana or Nigeria. But then I've seen white comedians do an African accent. It's just a very bad accent. I've seen some Irish comedians do it. They just they can't do it because yeah. they haven't been around them. They haven't been raised in a multicultural society. So a bad accent is, goes into the box of punching down. Um, so I think it's it's how you do it. I mean, even um, I remember working with Whoopi Goldberg in, in, the, in between 2003 and 2004, just after 9-11, actually. And she was great because there was a there was a, a, a <laughs> she was there was a big discussion about whether white people can say the N word. It was always it's always the question of what yeah. can white people say it? And she goes, oh, yeah, white people can say the N-word, but they're going to be consequences. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I love that. I love that. So, so yeah. we can actually do anything, but how you do it, you have to take on the consequences. So I think it's a, it's, it's a very specific um, thing that you have to navigate. And there are certain quite nuanced rules. And I think for me, the, 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 the main thing is, is it funny? Mm. Is it really funny? And that's a very important thing. A while ago, there was a... Um, a big hoo-ha in comedy um, in March 2018. There was a guy called, um, the guy had a dog, a, a, a pug dog that was doing a, a Nazi salute. And I remember David Baddiel and Ricky Gervais were talking about it. He goes, oh, do you know he's, he's, he's in court for this? And he's, he's basically the headline was he's, he's in court for doing a joke. And everyone was outraged. And then I'm, and someone sent me the video and I didn't see it. I was watching it in bed and I just thought, oh, this is funny. There's a dog doing the Heil Hitler thing. That's funny. I didn't hear the um, I didn't hear the audio, and then I saw the audio. The guy who was doing it um, to get the dog to do that, rather than saying like Heil Hitler or something, he would saying "gas the Jews." He said "gas the oh, Jews," wow. and it would be. And, and even Ricky Gervais goes, "Oh, all right, okay. Why why are you saying that?" And he's saying it over and over and over again, and then you go into it and you think, "Okay, this guy has connections with the far right. He has." And and there is De Sturmer magazine during the World World War Two was about using humor to fan racism. So 
So that's for me that that joke no, was no longer funny because of the words that were used. So everybody was trying to forced into do support this guy or not, and then we'll we'll box you into whether you are pro him or anti him. I said no, I'm anti him. I'm not going to support him. So people started having a go at me. It actually was a discussion I should never have got involved with, mm. but because they were, it seemed to be, you know what it's like on the internet, you get involved with things. And, and, and so I think I was very clear with my lines. I was very clear with my boundaries. So, but, uh, but it's, it's all, you can always tell if something, if something really genuinely makes you laugh. Uh, but then again, we've all got different types of humor. And some people have a stronger taste. And I know some Iranians love very hot chilies <laughs> because their <laughs> taste buds have gone. Yeah. Yeah. And they need the really hot stuff. So a lot of comedians, have, you know, we need the hot stuff mm. to keep us laughing. Um, but yeah, it is, it's an interesting one to navigate. And I think in the new normal, what's interesting here, Hannah, it's not just about whether you're offensive or not. I think the key here is that people, having been in lockdown for 18 months and have watched Netflix and actually watched a lot of good things. I watched Ozark. I watched Cobra Kai. I watched Breaking Bad again. And when you're used to a higher level quality of content, I think comedians, this is our challenge. We have to make a, a higher level content. And I think that that's the challenge. It's not about whether you're offensive or not. It can be offensive if your jokes aren't strong enough. Mm. It's offensive if people pay money and you ain't funny. Mm. It's offensive if, if I've been in lockdown and I'm watching really good things, then I'm dying for a, a live experience. And I see really substandard stuff from from before you were doing and it's nothing's changed. I think that is the challenge for comedians. And that's what we're trying to navigate, try and be fresh, be up with all the discourses, you know, understand that things have changed, understand you can't just, you know, say anything you want. So I think that's how you navigate it, just doing higher, higher quality stuff. And then similarly, obviously, as an Iranian man, a Middle Eastern man, have you felt maybe more in your early days that you were pigeonholed as a certain person, you know, what have, what have your experiences been as you yeah, sort of de- risen the ranks? Definitely pigeonholed, hundred percent pigeonholed. And when I did my first live at the Apollo, I didn't even, I, I was so amazed. It was the very first series, actually. Jack D fought to have me on. I think I was the only um, non well-known person because they had people like Joan Rivers was on it and, Oh, wow. Joe Brand did the first series and Ardlo Hanlon. It was all television stars. And he really fought to have me, not because of diversity. He just said, I just think he's one of the funniest comedians out there. And But they, but you're never seen as a funny comedian. You're just seen as, oh, they often do. He's the funniest comedian in Iran. Oh, you're the funniest Iranian I've ever seen. Oh, where people diminish. He goes, oh, here comes the dancing guy. Yeah. Hey, here's the dancing guy. And you think, well, hang on. You've not really understood what I'm about and that often happens in online reviewers. They try and diminish and minimize the impact of what you're doing because you're not from that culture. And, and rather than say, wow, that's someone who we have developed, the comedy circuit has developed him, rather than embrace him, I've, I've been very much categorized. So much the point, Hannah, actually, I have to tell you, in the 1990s and early 2000s, I never even performed with women because I was seen as the diversity. So when you have four acts, you sometimes use it, you either use a woman as an act or a speciality act or an ethnic minority act. So that was it. You often three white guys and a woman, three white guys, an Iranian, three white guys and a guy who plays guitar, three white guys and a guy who does a puppet act. Do you see what I'm saying? So I didn't realize that I was the diversity. So I never mm. performed. I never performed with Joe Brand. I think once I did a show with Joe Enright, who was a comedian from the Midlands, who was very funny. And I was so delighted to be on with her. But I never performed with women. That was, uh, and I realized I was very much the, I was very much the diversity and 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 the kind of, <laughs> the kind of encouragement I would get. And never forget. And, and the guy who said it was really well-meaning and I love him. His name was Smashy in South End. He, he said to me, he saw me for the first time. He goes, I want to talk to you in my office. Come to my office. And I said, what's, what's the matter? He goes, you're brilliant. You're absolutely brilliant. But I'm going to give you some advice now. It's going to change your life. I said, what? He goes, thing is, you're very funny, but your name. I can never remember. Omar, but what was your name? I said, Ahmed Jalili. And he said, yeah, thing is, I've forgotten it already. So I can't pick up the phone and say, I've just seen a brilliant act. He goes, what's his name? He goes, I can't remember. That's no good to anyone. 
what you need to do is get pictures of yourself in a big turban, pantaloons, curly-toed shoes. Call yourself Ali Baba, the Sultan of Comedy. You get a lot of work that way, mate. You get a lot of work. And I kind of said, that's very kind, thank you. And, and I kind of didn't say anything. And then that was 96. Ten years later, outside the BBC, he walks past. And I was just shooting the Ahmed Jalili show. He says, what are you doing here, Ahmed? I said, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, I said, I've got my own show. He goes, what show? I said, yeah, it's, it's called the Ahmed Jalili show. He goes, got your own show on the BBC? I said, yeah. He goes, did you use my advice from 10 years ago about calling yourself Alibaba? I said, no. He goes, you see, you would have got here much quicker. Five years would have got here qu- five years quicker. You never, you never trusted me, Ahmed. <laughs> wow. So, so that that is, but but the, but I, but I love the fact that I mean we've laughed and joked about it, mm. and he's a friend of mine now. But he just said he said to me that's the way it was, and the, mm. I was so shocked that there was someone from where you came from. And I'd never seen it before. We had never seen that before. So I I've never really seen the impact of it. I just kind of did it, and people either liked me or didn't like me, and it didn't bother me. You develop a thick skin. You develop a very thick skin as a comedian that you you take the compliments and early on you when people say a criticism you either ignore it or you think about it think actually they've got a point and i remember some reviews they had some criticism and i and i actually built my career based on the criticisms of close friends other comedians and one or two one or two reviewers who were well meaning um and i kind of adapted what i was doing cuz you're young and fresh and and you you really don't know what you're doing, but I think that's the thing. You have to stay open. But I was very thick-skinned, and um, and I remember once actually, even I, my show didn't go very well. I was sent over to Bristol. There was a comedy club, and he was paying me. Um, he meant to pay me a hundred and hundred and forty pounds, which was a lot of money for me at the time, and it just didn't go very well. They didn't laugh. They were just sat there looking at me. All these blokes, and the bloke wanted to pay me because come to my office, and he said, "Do you um, do you think that?" deserved 140 quid i said well they didn't laugh but i mean i gave it my all he goes are you happy for me to give you 140 pounds and i said well what would you do if if another comedian did very badly and he, and he was a bit shocked he said i'm asking you do, are you happy with me writing you a check for 100 and i said look you want to pay me half just pay me half and i took i took i took 80 quid we, we wow. agreed on 80 quid but I don't. But I remember saying that to other comedians. Did anyone get that treatment? He went, "No, I think that's just you." I think he took advantage of the fact that I'm humble Iranian, and of course, Belakshi, that wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Just give me half, or don't even don't even pay me. And that that often happens. There was once a a corporate show I did where I did a Brexit joke, you know, and they were very upset and they didn't laugh. And um, but the joke, I think the joke was. Um, we, the, the, at the Olympics, we should be doing the Brexit 100 metres. The guy with the starter gun shoots himself in the foot. You know, <laughs> that was the joke. Well, you, you got the a laugh Brexit. out of me. <laughs> got a laugh out of you. But nobody laughed here. And I did oh, a, a, couple of, a couple of non-political Brexit jokes. Okay. And they were so upset. And they um, they wanted to complain. And I told my agent, just give, give them the money back. I don't want that. I think that's the thing. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I, I'm also... As an Iranian, maybe it's a Middle Eastern thing. If someone's offended by you, who don't pay me, forget about yeah. it. I just just forget about it. Whereas, in fact, my agent was saying no, they should pay because that's they pay you the the, the big amount of money just in case something goes wrong because these corporate events that they, they never love. So, um, and, and I think these 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 little microaggressions, it's not big. It's not a big deal. No one died. It's not like yeah, as yeah, if yeah. I was sent back to Iran or anything like that. But I, I have noticed them, and I do know that I was, the answer to your question, I was pigeonholed. And I think I was also pigeonholed from a personality point of view because I'm Middle Eastern, I'm open, and I was just very nice to people. Well, in fact, I should have said, no, this is wrong. You can't treat me like this, or no, you can't do this. And I didn't have that until later on in my career. Mm. Just back to the food for a second. I know that you mentioned that of you're course. sort of doing this intermittent fasting, trying to lose 3,000 kilos or whatever it is um what's your diet like when you're on tour because that can be quite difficult when you're moving all the time yes i think that's something i have to plan whereas before we would just stop and get burger king or whatever's available we weren't so in the last like 15 years ago even 10 years ago 
I was getting more savvy about food, but I didn't really think about it. So now I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to go do a show away and I'll take some packaged salmon flakes and I'll have that with a couple of cherry tomatoes. And then in the evening, I'll make sure I stop off at Marks and Spencer's and yeah. get some sliced chicken or something. So it's about planning. So I plan meals and I, but I'm a big foodie. That's the problem. I, I used to on my tours, one of the reasons why everyone wants to do my tours, everyone wants to fight to be my support act. They fight to be my tech and they fight to be my tour manager because always I take them out for meals in the evening or we had a day off. I remember in Edinburgh, I had a day off and, you know, Dara O'Brien, we, we met him and he came along for dinner and he saw the starters and he saw we would like had a big banquet every night. He goes, this is amazing. I just traveled with one guy. I put my headphones on. We don't talk to each other till we get the gig. I do the gig. And I, I go back to my hotel. But you've got like four people. There's a, you're an entourage. You eat food. I mean, even Eddie Izzard, what he used to do, he used to get, he used to have people go in to fix his dressing room to make it look like a, a Mor- Moroccan opium den. den. Wow. So, it would look, so it would look really amazing. So people would have like a party. And, and I was very much of the same thing that we're here to enjoy ourselves. It, like whenever support acts always sleep in like the premier inn. But I said, no guys, let's stay at the Malmaison together. We'll have a drink together. So I just pay a lot of money for everyone to stay in the nice hotels with me. I was basically paying them to be my friend. I think that's the one thing. So we would eat. But that's we also very Iranian of you. We're, we're very, you know, that, that's such a cultural thing, you know, we want to bring everyone together. We like to host people. We, yeah. you know, you go to an Iranian's house, there's always going to be an offering of some kind, right? <laughs> always. You never leave an Iranian house no. hungry. And I think that's the thing. that, 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 that I, I was very much of the thing that we, we create memories together. And actually, with some of my old, some of my old texts and things, they said, oh, I wish I was on tour with you. What are you doing? We see the videos on Instagram. It's hilarious. Is Boothby still with you? Boothby's hilarious. So it's a, it is, it's something that we feel, I suppose, duty bound that we all should have a good time. Now, this could be from a very anxious space. It could be an immigrant mentality that I just want people to like me. Yeah. There could be an element of that. But it's also, I think it's a cultural thing that mm. we, we eat good food. We listen to good music in the car. We, we do things together. And I think that's the, it's a very important part of touring for me. Absolutely. When you are at home, what are some of your specialities to cook? Ah, well, my specialities, I, I, I do love fish. I, I found, like, for example, last night, I find that just putting two tins of tuna in with a whole load of onions, sweet corn, red peppers and garlic and mix it around and obviously no carbs, stick a bit of cheese on it and, and have a few sliced bits of fresh avocado. It's a very filling meal and it's mm. and it's crispy onions and it's wonderful. And if you make an, a lot of it, you can eat that for three or four people, but no carbs. So I, I, I do like sticking some fish on and just chopping a lot of vegetables, put a bit of olive oil, butter, garlic, and just shoving it in. I've got an agar. And oh, agars are great. Nice. Agars give a slightly different taste to the food you just shove it in the agar. It's a bit hotter than a normal oven if you bring it out after 15. Whereas salmon usually takes 20 minutes. This is like 16 or 17 minutes to have the salmon nice and moist. Uh, and just have that. That's, these are my, the specialities is a bit of protein and some vegetables, but done in a more, uh, I, put, I put a bit of sea salt on it and a bit of um, fresh ground pepper and garlic. And I think my, one one speciality I love is making Dover sole, but with a special, I'm getting so hungry as I'm talking about I know, don't, with I'm, a special, my stomach is rumbling. With with a special lemon uh, lemon garlic and cream sauce, Ooh. which just is fantastic, and I have that with a few onions and cherry tomatoes, and that's that's it for me. So it's usually it's usually fish or chicken done in a nice way. So yeah, that's and, that's what I'm eating um, at the moment. Do you cook? Do you ever cook Iranian food? Not really. No, I think it's because where I was in London, we had three or four great Iranian restaurants, so I never really bothered. Um, no, so no, I don't really cook Iranian food. I, I wish I could. I know I come from a family who all say, if you want, we can come and give you a quick lesson. My children do actually. My, I've got a middle son who can cook everything. So wow. he makes the most amazing bagali polo, which is this, this rice with dill and broad beans. And if it's done well with a bit of tadig, that's all you need. And with a bit of yogurt, that's enough. Um, but usually you have that with salmon or some kind of fish. And he's an expert. He's 25 and he can make it. That's incredible. 
I'm still mm. in the process of sort of learning all the dishes through my mum. And when you are out and about, where are some of your favourite restaurants? Well, one of my favourite restaurants was, uh, and I've been told it's it's a bit of a, it was a tacky, it became quite tacky. It was quite a cool restaurant when it opened up, it was Gilgamesh in Camden, which when that it first cool. opened, I remember thinking it was a cool restaurant. It was cool was, when the, it opened. The Chilean sea bass, yeah. the, the kind of duck with melon and, and cashew nuts was fantastic, but that's closed down now. Um, I, I do like... Um, I know in LA there was a Mr. Chow, and there's a Mr. Mr. Chow they have in London and Knightsbridge. That's really fabulous food because you don't even order. You just you you just the waiter says, "What do you feel like?" And mm. I said, "Well, kind of, I'm kind of in a fish mood." He goes, "Okay, well, why don't we try this, try that?" And they just bring it for you, so you don't even look at the menu. And I like that that they just want to feel how you feel, and they know the menu so well they order for you. I think that's quite interesting. And some Persian restaurants are uh, just, there's one called Saffron in Richmond, which is kind of slightly higher cuisine. So they, they bring the rice and a round mound and a little piece of thin green leek over it. So it's a little bit, it gives the impression of being slightly high cuisine, yeah, but it's just yeah. very good Iranian street food. Yeah, I, I do love all the Pan-Asian stuff. I'm a big fan of it because I, I've raised an Iranian food. The food that always surprises me is that kind of Pan-Asian stuff. Mm. And I, I can't give you names of any places, but there's a there's a little Vietnamese restaurant on Greek Street, at the, very close to Shaftesbury Avenue. And that, that just yeah. does fantastic. I know where you're I talking if you know about. It. I, know exactly I don't know what it's called. About. I've been there five know, or six times. I've walked past it a lot. I know where you're talking about. It's very cheap. It's mm. like Vietnamese street food, but it's absolutely Fantastic. Brilliant. And do you know what yeah. it is as well for me is that I like to go to the places where I just can't be bothered to make that sort of food at home because by the time you've got 25 ingredients, it's just, exactly. I'd rather just go out and have it because you know it's going to be good, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I always finish my conversations with a few quick fire questions. Are you ready? Sure, go ahead. So what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Wow, the craziest food. Um well, I'd like to say it was like some kind of insect that was already moving. I've seen that on nice. people, eat, which I could never do. I would never do I'm a Celebrity or any of that food. I, 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 in fact, Richard Madeley, I understand, has got ill yeah. eating that food. He's gone to hospital because you can get ill eating these things. I have <laughs> to guy. say, Ahmed, I think you'd be brilliant on I'm a Celebrity. I, yeah, but thankfully I still have a career and <laughs> I'd like to keep keep it that way. Touche. Maybe next year. Touche. Maybe, Maybe next, next year. year. Maybe next year. Um, but I think the craziest food uh, I had was, which I was sheep's brains. I had that in Qatar. And it was a bit like, um, it was actually, excuse me, it was a Pakistani restaurant in Birmingham. And they brought me sheep's brains for a kind of breakfast thing. And it kind of felt like an omelette. And, it, wow. and I have to say, wow, I have to say it was more delicious than an omelette. Sheep's brains. And it was absolutely delicious. I'm very ashamed to tell you this, Gosh. but made at a Pakistani Pakistani restaurant in Birmingham. I can't tell you the name, but he goes, he goes, Brad, you'll, you'll be surprised. And I, and I was, I said, wow. I'm, I'm, how's this? Bring me another plate. Gosh. And it was amazing. Just Six goes brains. to show, always try everything, right? Try it. Yeah. I think it, it, you know. it, look, if, if the whole bunch of Pakistanis in the, in the, in the, in the restaurant, they can't be wrong. I could mm. see that they were tucking in mm. and it was delicious. Mm. I have to say. What's been your most memorable meal? Wow. That's an amazing question. Um, well, I have to say it was with my friend Majid, who when we were just eating um, yogurt and bread, and and he was so much fun, and he was talking so much crap that it was just so entertaining. I loved him and I hated him at the same time. And I loved him because he was so entertaining, but... I just sat there and I was totally bought into bread and yogurt being the most balanced food in the world. And that was the most memorable thing because that's the thing I talk about the most. And every time I see bread and yogurt, I'll always have a bit and I always remember him. And because uh, it's actually, you, you can have bread and water, but if you're with really great company and mm -hmm. th that can be the most memorable meal. So I would say that that was one of the most memorable me meals. And it was also um, at the Edinburgh festival once I had no money and, um, I had to get a bag of chips for my family, for my wife and two children. And I was 10 pence short 
for a big bag of chips. A big bag of chips was £1.60. And a small bag of chips was £1.20. And I had £1.50. And the guy wouldn't give me £1.50 worth. So I had to beg in the street. And I remember saying, excuse me, this is in Edinburgh. I'm £10, I'm 10 pence short for a big bag of Could I borrow 10 pence? People said, piss off, you English bastard. <laughs> I thought I was English. So I realized it didn't work. So I go up to people and say, I ain't pal, I'm 10p short for a bag of chips. Can I borrow 10p? Because I ain't pal. Cheers, mate. Great. Thanks a lot. So I blagged oh an extra 10 pence to get a big bag of chips to feed my family because the, the, the card machine had st- stolen my card. I had nothing in my account. And I couldn't borrow money from anyone. And it was that big bag of chips. Now, I remember eating it. It was so delicious. I bet. But it was also n- not very nutritious. But it fed us that night. And I always remember it because I thought I will never be in this situation again. Wow. And I never was. That's actually quite an incredible story. It is, actually, when you yeah, think about it. Yeah, that is a really that, amazing story. There's always something that makes you realize, mm-hmm. I never want to be in this situation Absolutely. again. You, you, you have to understand poverty to understand what most of the world is going through. And then appreciate the good things. Appreciate the good food. Because no one says that, you know, send the food to the starving in Africa. Enjoy your food. But be be very mindful that a lot of people aren't as privileged as this and they can't enjoy the food that you do. But I've had that experience. I remember that's never going to happen again. Absolutely. A very important question is up next. My favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What is yes. your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Prawn cocktail, because the very first one you put in absolutely blows the taste buds. Okay. You, were you doing... look very disturbed by I that. I am. You were doing so well. Was I? Okay. And Shall that... I say beef and onion? <laughs> <laughs> why, why prawn cocktail? Because it tastes nothing like a prawn cocktail, for a start. <laughs> like the Thousand Island sauce on prawns, it t- tastes nothing like that. It has a very specific taste that has nothing to do with prawns. It doesn't taste of anything. It is, it's a very specific tangy taste. Okay, okay. It should be, should be just called tangy taste in a purple packet. <laughs> That's what they should call it, because it's nothing, nothing to do with prawn cocktail. Okay, I think if you put it like that, I can accept it. I get okay. really, really like controversial with this, with this question, because some of the answers I've had in the past, I sort of have like, I've just stopped the recording. <laughs> cheese, not, cheese and onion tastes like cheese and onion. So yeah, yeah, no, I get it. And onion, but prawn cocktail has nothing to do with prawn cocktail. It's but just, I think that's is, what it, my issue is with it. It's like, I don't actually know what it is. That's exactly why I like it. Right, Because fine. it's, not, it's okay. nothing to do with it. It's a new taste. It's okay. a completely, it's a new, I never taste it anywhere else other than in a Walker's crisps. Yeah. Okay. What food sums up happiness for you? Uh, definitely chicken, boneless chicken kebab with rice, egg yolk, and some grilled onions. Absolutely. And and it's, the, it's the food of my home, and it reminds me of my mother, and it makes me very happy. Final question. Live to eat or eat to live? It, it, eat to live, for sure. But if you don't have an aspect of living to eat then there's no point living life part of this experience that we we're we're spirits in the material world and we're here to experience all the delights of the world and i think we should be enjoying these things and if you if you can't enjoy food you can't enjoy life you can't i'm very very suspicious of people who don't enjoy their food i can't really be friends with them it's like they say to me someone asked jerry seinfeld can you like someone whose act you don't like and he said, no, I can't. If I don't like their act, I don't like their person. I don't like the person. So if I don't see someone enjoying food the way I do, if they don't eat something, I'm going to go, oh, God, that's amazing. I can't be friends. They're just going, you know, it's all right. Well, yeah, might as well just drink water and bread. You are you know, you speaking have my to, language. <laughs> you have to enjoy life. Like with the sun's on your face, oh, I feel that vitamin D. Diving in a pool, ah, oh, the water in my body. Even eating a little bit of when you're hungry and you eat the first thing, just the, the the taste buds going, it makes you feel alive. And I can't be with people who don't who don't appreciate that experience. Amen. Oh, Ahmed, honestly, this has been great. This Hannah. Was Thank an you so absolute much. Absolute pleasure. Now, just I'm going to end by saying because I'm currently learning Farsi, so I'm going to okay. say "Mamnun keba man hastid." Thank you so much for joining me. Um, May my I... life be a sacrifice to you, I just say. <laughs> say that again. May I be a servant to you. Korbunet. Korbun means servant. May I be a servant to you and your life. 
I mean, when you walk, maybe I just lie on the ground so you can walk over me and use me as a carpet. <laughs> Merci. That's Merci. what it means. <laughs> if you do not follow Omid on social media, you must because he is hilarious and you can find him at Omid Jalili. And it has been a pleasure. You are probably my long lost brother. I hope that we can meet in person when you're next in London. I would love, as a true Iranian, to invite you to my family's home for food, for juja kebab, for for all the goodness, some good tariq, and um, and good luck with the rest of your tour. It's great, and and it's amazing. You've given me an Instagram shout out. When this goes out, let me know. I'll see how many how many followers I lose because whenever (laughs) they do that. I always lose followers. When I've done a pod- podcast, I lose followers. I don't know why it happens to oh, me. Oh, gosh. They well, just look at me. My Instagram's a mess. They just look <laughs> at my Instagram and they go, nah. I literally, on Twitter, I had someone look at my Twitter. I've, I've had 5 million followers and uh, I've been unfollowed by 5.2 million people. <laughs> so I'm so grateful for the 300,000 bots I've still got left. I've got nothing but bots. They're all just, you just got fake followers, haven't you? I've got fake followers. Every time I tweet, it goes, you're an, you're an idiot. There's nothing to do with it. Here's, I'll say, listen to my podcast. Someone said, you you you, you anti-Islamic, anti-this. They'll just have, have a go at me. I said, it's nothing to do with the podcast. Oh, and then I'll get unfollowed, but I'll gain lots of bots. Well, there so we go. You. Well, I ho- hopefully you might follow a few people. Probably my family will start following you. How about that? Yes, I'll definitely follow you. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.